Uh, but this morning we're going to continue our series in 2 Thessalonians. Uh, as you may remember, we started 1 Thessalonians back several weeks ago, and we've been going through uh, 1 Thessalonians and, uh, and 2 Thessalonians both. And so we started 2 Thessalonians last Sunday morning uh, in the beginning of chapter 1. We uh, finished the, the end of chapter 1 last Sunday evening, and so now we're picking up today with the beginning of uh, of chapter 2, the first half of chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, turn there uh, this morning. Um, my other job that, that I work besides the church, I work at a, uh, it's kind of like a group home for, for boys, teenage boys, 12 to 17, that have gotten in some trouble. They've had a lot of really bad things happen to them, and, and they've done some, some bad things too. Um, and they, they come and stay with us, live with us for about a year, and we have a program that they work through, and then uh, hopefully at the end of that year, they, um, they can get into foster care, or perhaps be adopted, or in, in a few cases, even go back to their, to their biological families. Uh, but, but I've seen this happen several times uh, while I've been working there over the past five or six years, I guess. Um, something will be happening, one of the kids will be upset about something, and, or he'll be refusing to do what he's been asked to do, he don't want to go to school that morning, or whatever it might be. There, there's something happening. And so one of, our, one of our staff members will be talking to this kid and, and they'll say, uh, you know, something, something like, if you, if you don't start doing what we're asking you to do, if you don't go to school, you know, it's your choice. You don't have to go to school if you don't want to, that's your choice. But if you don't go to school, then here's the consequence that you'll be given, right? And, and we have several different kind of standard consequences and then we have some, sometimes we, we kind of come up with some other creative stuff. But, but we'll say, you know, if you, if you don't stop doing this that you're not supposed to be doing or if you start doing what you're uh, supposed to, if you don't start doing what you're supposed to do, then, then here's the consequence that, that's gonna come from that, right? And, and so often, several times I've seen this happen where, where the kid is so upset or so, uh, so angry or, or whatever that he's, that he's not listening. Right? And so the, the staff person says, if you do this, or if you don't do this, then here's gonna be the consequence. But what the kid hears is, you're on this consequence, right? He doesn't hear the if part. He, he, and, and so he thinks that he's been given a consequence. He, he thinks he's been grounded for, for a day, or two days, or a week, or, or whatever it might be, or whatever other consequences might be. And so then he gets really mad and starts talking to other people, and I can't believe he did that, he shouldn't have done that, he didn't have a reason to do that, all this kind of stuff. And it's all because of a misunderstanding. It's all because he didn't listen well to what the person told him. It's all because he thought the person said something that, that they didn't actually say, right? And we see something very similar, I think, this morning in, uh, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, okay? We're going to look at the first 12 verses today, and, and just a couple things to, uh, to kind of, really one thing to, to kind of say up front. Um, there might be some room for, for frustration today, right? Because this is a really difficult passage. There are a lot of things in this passage that are not talked about in other parts of the Bible. This is kind of the only, only place we get some of it. And, and so um, if, if we're here this morning, if you've looked ahead, if you've read this passage and you're really excited about learning, you know, who the, who the man of lawlessness is and what about this spirit of delusion that's coming, there might be an opportunity to leave here kind of frustrated this morning. And, and the reason is because Paul... His purpose here is not to give the Thessalonians information, okay? That's not his purpose here. And so I want us to look at the first two verses and we're gonna see why he's writing this, this chapter and perhaps even why he's writing this whole letter um, and, 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 and get some kind of background information of what's going on in these first two verses and then we're gonna look at the rest of the passage, okay? So the first two verses, Paul writes this. He says, now, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, 
We ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Okay? So here's, here's what seems to be happening. What seems to be going on here is the, this church in, in, in Thessalonica that we've gotten to know through 1 Thessalonians already in the first chapter of, of this letter, this church in Thessalonica is, is, at least some of the people in this church are beginning to fear or worry or, uh, or be confused about or think that the day of the Lord, the coming of the Lord has already happened, okay? And we don't know how Paul knows this. We don't know if, uh, if, if they sent him a letter, right, and, told, and, and asked him this question. We don't know if maybe somebody was there visiting that church and then they met up with Paul later and they told him what was going on. We don't know, but, but Paul says that there's some people in the church, maybe everybody, but at least some people in the church who were starting to question and worry about thinking maybe the Lord has already come back, okay? And that might seem kind of weird to us, but that's, that's the situation here. He, and, and so the reason Paul's writing this, this section here is not to give us information about what's going to happen when the Lord comes back. He's writing this letter to comfort the people in this church who are worried and upset and scared that maybe the Lord's already come back and they've missed it. Okay? And so he says in verse 1, Now, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers. So he's asking them something here. And what he's asking them in verse 2 is, Do not be quickly shaken in mind or do not be alarmed. He's saying, don't be worried about this. Don't be shaking in mind, don't be alarmed, don't be upset, don't be scared about thinking that the Lord has already come. And, and, and then he gives us a little bit more information here in, at the end of verse two. He says, either don't, don't be upset or, or shaken in mind or alarmed or worried, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the Lord has already come. Okay, and so so there's there, there's three different ways that maybe this happened, and and maybe all three of these ways kind of play a part in it, or maybe Paul doesn't really know how it happened, right? Maybe all he knows is that they are upset about uh, about this, but he doesn't know why they became upset. But it could be a spirit, right? And I, I think when he talks about a spirit, I think he's talking about like a prophecy. Maybe in one of your meetings, someone uh, stood up and prophesied and, and said that they got a message from the Holy Spirit, and 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 the message was that the coming of the Lord has already happened. Or he says a, a word, a spirit or a word. And when he says a word, he's probably talking about a written word, right? Either someone has, um, or, or not a written word, a spoken word, I'm sorry, a spoken word. So either someone is like preaching to them and, and is preaching that the Lord's return's already happened, or perhaps they're looking at 1 Thessalonians, the letter Paul's already written to them, and perhaps someone's trying to interpret that letter to, to them and explain to them what Paul meant in that letter, and this is something that they're telling them. Right? So either by prophecy or by someone teaching or speaking to them. Uh, we're going to see in a minute it could just be someone that's a false teacher as well that's, that's deceiving them. Or the third thing he says, this, this is really interesting just kind of uh, contextually or, or kind of historically. The third thing he says is a letter seeming to be from us. So apparently there may have been some counterfeit letters being passed around in the early church. Right? And there's something really interesting if you look over at chapter 3. Verse 17, this is the very end of the letter. Chapter three, verse 17 says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. Okay, and so Paul's saying, you know this is really my letter. You know this is a genuine letter because you can see my 
name. You can see my signature. You can see my handwriting. You can see this greeting that I'm writing with my own hand, right? And so what, what, what probably was the kind of custom at this time was Paul would dictate these letters to a secretary. And the secretary would write the, write the letters out, and then in the real letters, the genuine letters, the, the letters that Paul actually sent, he would, he would write the final part, the greeting himself with his own hand, and, and, and they could tell that it, was, uh, that it was genuine, okay? And so what's happened in, in, in this church is that they, they become upset, worried, scared, confused, thinking perhaps the, the coming of the Lord has already happened. Um, and, and Paul said, writes this letter and says, I don't want you to be worried about that. Don't be worried. Don't be shaken in mind. Don't be alarmed. That has not yet happened. Okay? And so we're going to move into the, the rest of, of this section, chapter uh, verses 3 through 12. And I think we're going to see three things that, that Paul tells them, right? Three reasons that they shouldn't be worried, that they shouldn't be upset, they shouldn't be concerned. Three words of advice to them uh, to help them moving forward. Okay? And so number one, uh, we're going to see that, that Paul wants them and wants us to be careful. Okay? Number one, be careful. Number two, Paul wants them and wants us to be mindful. Okay? To be, to be mindful. And then number three, Paul wants them and us to be watchful. Be careful, be mindful, and be watchful. Okay? So look, look, look ahead to, to verse three. In verse three, he writes, let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Okay, so the first thing Paul tells them here in, in, in these three verses is, I want you to be careful. Don't let anyone deceive you. Okay? Be careful. Don't let anyone deceive you. The problem is that, that some, at least within the church, have been deceived. Some people, at least, at least some within the church, uh, were worried that the day of the Lord has already come, the coming of the Lord has already happened, and that's not true. They've been deceived either by a, by a prophecy or by a spoken word or by a letter seeming to be from Paul and his, and his companions, right? And so they, they, they've been deceived. And Paul tells them, do not be deceived. He says, I don't want you to be deceived in any way, okay? And there's, there's lots of ways to be deceived, right? They could have been deceived by a prophecy. They could have been deceived by a spoken word. They could have been deceived by a letter. There's other ways to be deceived also. And, and, and Paul's telling them not to be deceived. And I think he's telling us the same thing. We need to be careful not to be deceived. And there's lots of deceivers out there. Lots of deceivers out there. There's deceivers outside the church, we think about people in other religions, other religious leaders that are, that are saying that, that their religion is true, that the God that they worship is the true God, and the God of Christianity is not the, not the true God. We can think about just like culture and, and, and ways of thinking. Not only American culture, but here that's what we're dealing with. We're, we live here, so that's what's most influential for us. So think about... Think about how, what it means for an American, what we think of as Americans, what does it mean to be a good person? Right? What does it mean to live a good life? What does it mean to be a, a, a man or a woman? What does it mean to be loving? What's important? What really matters in life? And if what, what, what God says, what the Bible says, the answers to some of those questions, may be different than what our, the, the culture around us 
says are the answers to those questions, right? And if we're not careful, we'll be more influenced by the culture around us that we're part of than we will by what God's word says. And so he tells us to be careful. Don't be deceived by anything. Don't be deceived by the, by the books that you read, by the music that you listen to, by the movies that you watch, or TV shows that we watch. Don't be deceived by ideas. There are lots of people today that talk about spirituality, right, and, and, and kind of what that means, what does it mean to be spiritual? There's some people that talk about, uh, you know, they, they want to say that they're spiritual but not religious, and, and different people mean different things by that. But, but one thing that, that, that's common is there's this way of, of, of being spiritual that's not connected to worshiping and submitting to and following the Lord, right? And so we should be careful not to be deceived. Unfortunately, there's also uh, some deceivers inside the church, right? There's lots of deceivers outside the church. There's also some deceivers inside the church, at least among people who, who claim to be Christians, right? People who claim to follow the Lord. Jesus, Paul, Peter, John, in different places in the New Testament, they all warned us, they all warned the, the, the church that many false teachers will come. They said to be on guard for that. Be careful. Many false teachers will come, and, and, and many false teachers are here. So be careful who you listen to. Be careful what you read. Be careful what you believe. When we, when we look at, at point number two, we'll talk about this a little bit more, but right now, at least we should emphasize that, that we should test everything by what the word says. We should test everything that we're hearing, everything that we're reading, everything that we're thinking. We should test all of that by what the, by what the Bible says. The Bible is our authority. One of the ways here that, that Paul tells them that they can be sure that they haven't been deceived about the coming of the Lord and that it hasn't really happened yet is because he says the rebellion hasn't happened, right? He says in verse three, uh, let no one deceive you in any way for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. So he's saying, you know the rebellion hasn't come and so that way you know that the Lord has not come because the rebellion's gonna come first. Now we don't know a whole lot about, uh, about what the rebellion is in this passage, right? This is where I was saying we might leave her a little bit frustrated today because Paul, Paul talks about some things like this, the rebellion, the man of lawlessness here in a few minutes. He talks about these things, but he talks about them as if the readers in Thessalonica already know what he's talking about. So these are probably things that he's been teaching about already. Probably when he was there in Thessalonica uh, and he was kind of getting the church started and, and helping the church to begin to grow, he was teaching them and he was teaching them from God's word and he was teaching them about these things. And so he's saying, you know that the Lord hasn't come back yet because the rebellion hasn't come yet. It seems like what, what Paul's saying here is that there's, uh, there's, there's going to be this um, this uprising of evil powers that are gonna come against God and against his purposes and against his plan and against his kingdom. And all, those, all that's gonna happen before the Lord comes back, right? Another thing that, that I think we can deduce from this is that when this rebellion happens, there's gonna be this person that's gonna be revealed, the man of lawlessness, okay? And so look at that in, in um, in the end of verse three. He says, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. So you know the Lord hasn't come back yet because the rebellion hasn't happened yet and because the man of lawlessness has not been revealed yet, 
Okay? Now, now, who is this man of lawlessness? And again, this is something that we don't know a whole lot about, at least not from this passage, because again, it seems like this is something that Paul has already been teaching the church, the, the church in Thessalonica about. And so he's not going back over what he's already taught them. He's just reminding them of, of what he's already taught them, right? In 1 John, uh, John writes this in, in, in his letter, 1 John. He says, children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. And so John talks about an Antichrist that's going to come. Paul talks here about a man of lawlessness that's going to come. Uh, could, that, could that be the same person, and they're just using different terms to refer to him? Um, we, we don't really know. But what we do know for sure is that, that both of these people, if it's the same person or if it's different people, neither one of them have come yet, right? John says, you've heard that the Antichrist is coming, and I tell you that many Antichrists have already come, but that the one that you've heard about, the Antichrist, has not come yet, right? And Paul says the same thing about the, about the man of lawlessness. He hasn't come yet. And that's how you know the Lord hasn't come yet, because the man of lawlessness hasn't, hasn't come yet. Throughout history, many people have tried to decide and identify who this person might be, this man of lawlessness might, might be. Some people said that, that Hitler was a man of lawlessness during that time period. Early on, some people in the early church thought that the Roman Empire was the man of lawlessness, kind of uh, metaphorically uh, as a man, but it's talking about the Roman Empire that was persecuting the church at this time. Some people have suggested that the Pope is the man of lawlessness, either, either just the office of the Pope itself, or there's some people that have suggested certain individual popes uh, were the man of lawlessness. Um, some people, just even more recently, some people thought President Obama was a man of lawlessness, and some people thought President Trump was a man of lawlessness, right? And so we, we have all these ideas, and, 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 and people are trying to identify who it might be and, and these kind of things, but, but I think it's best for us not to try to identify who it is. Because at least in this passage, Paul doesn't tell us who it is. It's best for us to focus on not being deceived by him when he does appear. That seems to be Paul's point here, right? He's saying, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. A third thing that, that I think we can pick up from here is that this rebellion, when it does come, is going to be led by the man of lawlessness, right? So those are not really two separate things, but they're kind of the same thing, kind of the same event, that this, this rebellion is going to happen and the man of lawlessness is going to be part of that rebellion. Paul tells us that he's going to oppose God. And we're going to see later he's also going to lead other people in opposition to God. Many people are opposing God and his purposes and his plan in, in different ways right now. Today, first John said that. Remember, John said that many antichrists already are here. But, but Paul, Paul here seems to have like a, a, a larger scale rebellion in mind here. So, so it seems like there, there's something else that's going to happen, something bigger that's going to happen. And, and, and during this rebellion, the man of lawlessness is going to exalt himself above the so-called gods and he's even going to try to take the true God's place and proclaim himself to be, to be God. And so Paul, again, remember, Paul's purpose here is to try to comfort the people in this church. And he's saying, listen, don't be deceived. Don't be tricked. You, you know that Jesus hasn't come back yet because the rebellion hasn't happened and because the man of lawlessness has not come yet. Yeah, there are people that oppose the church and there are people that are, that are opposing God. There are people that are persecuting the church right now. But it's not this one, Right? This is going to be a, a bigger thing. This is something that you're going to see that's going to be uh, clear. This is someone that's going to try to take the place of God himself. And, and Paul's saying that hasn't happened yet, so you know that you haven't missed the Lord's return yet. 
That's the whole point in, in this passage so far is Paul trying to encourage the, the Thessalonians not to be deceived. Now in verse five, he kind of reprimands them a little bit. Paul kind of gets on them a little bit in verse five, right? In verse five, he says, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? He's kind of getting, he's kind of getting on them a little bit, right? He's saying, come, come on, y'all. When I, was, when I was there, I already taught you about this. Right? I used to tell you these things all the time. And he calls them to remember what he's already taught them. He builds, he, he builds on this in, in the next few verses, and, and, and this brings us to our second point. So the first point is we shouldn't be deceived. We should be careful that we're not deceived, right? Be careful that you're not deceived. The, the, the second point is that, that we need to be mindful. We need to be mindful. Paul calls us to remember what he's already taught us. He calls the church here to remember what he's already taught them. And he's calling us to that also. We know the rebellion hasn't come yet. We know the man of lawlessness has not been revealed yet. And now he tells us to remember, I told y'all, remember I told you when I was there with you. The man of lawlessness, not, not only has he not come yet, but he's also currently right now being restrained, right? Now here's another thing in this passage, there's lots of them. Here's another thing in this passage where Paul just kind of mentions but doesn't tell us, right? He says, look at verse, uh, look at verse six. He says, and you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. And so Paul's telling them, you, you remember what I told you, right? You remember what I told you that he's being restrained and you remember what is restraining him or who is restraining him. I told you all that. He doesn't tell us that, but he tells them to remember that he's already told them that. And so what, what is it or who is it that's restraining this man of lawlessness right now so that he's not yet coming? Is it God the Father? Is it the Holy Spirit? Is it Jesus? Is it the, 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 the teaching of the gospel and, and the apostolic teaching, the teaching of the apostles, and that truth is restraining him right now and holding him back? Is it perhaps, some people have even suggested, maybe it was the, the Roman Empire, right? Some people say the Roman Empire is the man of lawlessness, and other people say the Roman Empire is what's restraining him because of just the effect of having a, a law and order in place and, 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 uh, and arresting people and, and, and those kind of things for those that break the law, right? But again, we, I don't think we can make those kind of decisions, those kind of judgments. But what we are told is why he's being restrained. And then Paul also tells us what will happen to him when he stops being restrained. So why he's being restrained? He says he's being restrained right now because this is all part of God's plan. This is all part of God's plan. And it plays into God's purposes and it plays into the good of God's people. Right? This is part of God's plan. This is part of God's purposes. And, 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 and the result of God's purpose is for the good of his church, for the good of his people. He said he's being restrained so that he may be revealed in his time, in verse 6. He's being restrained right now because it's not yet time for him to be revealed. Right? And why is it not yet time? Because it's not God's plan yet. Right? God has a plan for these things and it's not time yet. He also says he's going to continue being restrained until the one restraining him gets out of the way. All right? So that means that God's the one that's in control here. God's the one that's in charge here. 
God's purpose or plan, whoever it is that, that's restraining uh, the man of lawlessness, if it's not God directly, God's behind it, right? And he's going to continue being restrained until God decides to stop restraining him, right? And this will be comforting for the Thessalonian church. They're being persecuted right now, right? And it, it will be comforting for them to know that, that the Lord is in control. So we know why he's being restrained. We also know what's going to happen to him when, he's, when he quits being restrained. He's going to be destroyed and brought to nothing, is what Paul says. He'll be destroyed and brought to nothing. In verse 3, I, I didn't make a big deal about it when we read through it, but in verse 3, there's a name for the man of lawlessness there. He's called the son of destruction, right? And that speaks about his destiny, uh, about what's going to happen to him. He's going to be destroyed. And, and, and then... Uh, and then Paul here says something really weird. To us, at least, it sounds weird. He says, uh, he says in verse, um, uh, verse 8, it says, Then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. So when he is, when the restraint is lifted and he is able, allowed to, to do what he's going to do, we're going to see that here in a few minutes when we get to the next section. Jesus is going to kill him by the breath of his mouth and by the appearance of his coming. One TV show that I like to watch sometimes when it's on, I don't make a point to watch it, but if I'm flipping through channels and it's on, sometimes I'll stop and watch, is Pawn Stars, right? Y'all ever watch that show, see that show, Pawn Stars? With the, it's the, three, the three generations and they own a pawn shop and, uh, and people bring all this stuff in and, and they offer them money for it and they try to negotiate how much is, are they going to get, how much they're going to give, all that kind of stuff. It's kind of interesting sometimes. But when, whenever questionable items come in, they usually bring in an expert. And the expert comes in and he appraises and he decides whether it's actually a genuine or not genuine, right? He, he decides whether it really is the thing it's supposed to be or if it's a forgery, if it's a, if it's a fake. And then they make their decision based on the knowledge uh, that, that, that this person gives, this expert gives. I don't know if you all are, are familiar with the, uh, with the Secret Service, right? But the Secret Service's purpose is to protect the president, right? They protect the president, the vice president, other government officials, they protect former presidents, they protect, uh, sometimes they protect candidates for, for certain governmental offices, right? But that's not really the, the whole purpose of, of what the Secret Service is there before, and you may know this already. But one of the main purposes for the Secret Service, not all the Secret Service people, not all the people that are in the Secret Service get to protect the president or protect people, right? Most of what people that are in the Secret Service do is investigate financial crimes. And one of the main things that they do is investigate counterfeits counterfeit money, right? That's one of their main purposes. And the way that they do that, the way that, they, the way that they're trained to know whether a bill is counterfeit or not, they, they don't have a bunch of like examples of counterfeits that they sit around and study all the time. They don't do that. What they do is they have real money and they study the real money. And they study it and they study it and they study it and they get all the little details, every little nuance of it, and they get so good at recognizing real money that when the counterfeit money shows up, it's, it's easy for them in some cases to say, oh, that's fake because of this. That's fake because it doesn't have this. And, and it's not because they know what the counterfeit looks like. It's because they know what the real is. 
And the real is so real that the counterfeit becomes obvious, right? I think Paul's saying something similar here when he talks about Jesus is going to destroy him with the breath of his mouth and Jesus is going to uh, destroy him by the appearing of his, of his kingdom. When the true king returns, when the true king comes and establishes his kingdom, the counterfeit king or kingdom is going to be brought to nothing. The true king is so much better, the true king is so much more glorious than the counterfeit that there's not going to be any mistaking it. When Jesus appears, his glory, how's it said, his glorious appearing, right? In verse eight, by the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. So when, when Jesus comes and, and, and he appears and he is here, it's going to be clear and obvious that this fake king is a fake. Right? Remember, he set himself up to be God. But when the true God comes, when the true king comes, it's going to be clear that he's a fake. He's going to destroy him by the appearance of his coming. The same thing's true, I think, when, when Paul says he's going to destroy him by the, by, the, by the breath of his mouth. Jesus speaks the truth. And when Jesus comes, the truth is going to reveal and prove that this man of lawlessness and those who are involved in this rebellion, these false teachers that what they've been saying are lies. It's gonna be plain, it's gonna be unmistakable when it's compared to the real thing, to the true thing. One, uh, one psalm we sang this morning, the first psalm we sang this morning was, uh, was called A Mighty Fortress Is Our God, right? And the third verse says this. It says, and though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. For lo, his doom is sure, one little word shall fail him. Right? Paul says when Jesus comes, he's going to kill him, he's going to destroy him, he's going to fail him, he's going to get rid of him by the breath of his mouth and by the appearance of his coming. Again, this would have been a, a great word of, uh, of comfort for the people in Thessalonica who were being persecuted at this time. To know that God's in charge. To know that God's still, still overseeing everything, controlling everything. In verse 7, Paul says that, that although the man of lawlessness, he's not yet been revealed and he's being restrained right now, he does say the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, right? And in that first John passage we read, first John 2:18, remember John says that the Antichrist is not here, but many Antichrists have already come. Remember that? And so this, this, this person, this man of lawlessness, is being restrained right now, but that doesn't mean that he's not active. It doesn't mean that he's not somewhat effective in some ways, right? If you restrain something or you restrain somebody, that doesn't mean they can't do anything. Right? It just means that you have them under control and they can't do what you don't want them to do. Right? Again, I, I work at this boys' home and, and, and the kids we have now are not so aggressive, but we've had some really aggressive kids before and, and sometimes kids get in, get in fights with each other and you have to break up the fights and, and, and sometimes part of, part of how you do that is you have to kind of re restrain them or hold them and keep them away from each other. Right? And when you're holding a kid like that, it, it doesn't mean they can't do anything. Right? They can still do some things. I was holding a kid one time and he, I was behind him and he did his head back like this real hard and hit me right, in the, right between the eyes and broke my glasses. And so kids can still do stuff like that when you're holding them, right? But they can't do what you're trying to make them not do. 
They can't fight if you're restraining them like that, but they can still do some things. And Paul's saying, yeah, there's still some things happening and, and, and it's bad, but the Lord's restraining him and the Lord's in control of it. He doesn't say things are not bad for them or things are not difficult for them. Evil forces are already at work right now and they were then. But God's in, in control even of, of that. Nothing's happening to them that God's not allowing to happen to them. Moreover, nothing's happening to them that God's not allowing to happen to them ultimately for their good. Whatever's happening to them, God's using it for their good. We may not know or see or understand right now, but we can trust that it's true. And if they're careful not to be deceived and they're careful to be mindful of what they've been taught, then, then, then they also have nothing to worry about. They can trust in the Lord. Whatever's going on in your life right now is being allowed and being used by God. And I don't say that lightly because I know there's some really bad things happening in people's lives right now. There are believers all across the world right now that are being threatened, they're being intimidated, they're being arrested, they're being held hostage. We just heard of a group in, in, in Haiti just a few weeks ago that were kidnapped and they're being held hostage. Still, as far as I know right now, still being held hostage. There are believers around the world being beaten, being tortured, being killed. And, and I don't wanna downplay at all how bad that is and how difficult those things are. I don't wanna downplay at all how, how bad things are that are going on in, in our lives and, and how difficult those things might be. But in the end, we can trust that God is in control of it and that God has it in his hands, right? The song we just sang, it says, the prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure. For lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail. Paul tells them, don't be worried about this. Don't be shaken in mind. Don't be alarmed. Don't be thinking that, that something's happened and you've missed it. He says, remember. Remember, I told you these things already. Don't you remember? And we should follow that example too of, of remembering, I think, as well. We should be careful not to be deceived. We should also be mindful of what we have been taught. This, this is kind of, a, kind of an awkward point to, to make uh, because I'm one of the pastors here, but God ha, has given our church faithful pastors and leaders. We should ultimately, like I said before, test everything that we're taught, everything that, that we're told, everything that we're hearing and reading against God's word. And we're each individually responsible to make sure that what we're trusting and what we're obeying is what God has said in his word. But we can also test what we're hearing and what we're reading and what we're thinking and what we're being told and what we're feeling by what we've been taught. This also means we must know what we've been taught, right? We can't remember something we don't know. We can't remember something we've never heard to begin with. So just as we should prioritize reading the Bible ourselves, studying the Bible ourselves, knowing the Bible for ourselves, we should also prioritize being present to hear the word preached as often as we can, to study the Bible together in, in Sunday school classes and in Bible study groups and in other, other weekly groups that are, that are offered here. 
God has given his church pastors and other leaders to, to, to preach to the church and to lead the church. He set it up so that there are leaders and authorities in his church. But our authority doesn't come from who we are, they don't come, doesn't come from the education we have, doesn't come from the experiences we have, doesn't come from, uh, from personalities, doesn't come just because of the office. Our authority comes from preaching the word and teaching what God says in the Bible. And if we're doing that, and not just the pastors here, but other teachers, other leaders here that are, that are leading Bible studies and teaching Bible studies, other believers that have been believers for a, for a long time, for many years, and have walked with the Lord faithfully for many years that we can learn from and we can follow, right? God calls us to remember what we've been taught, remember what we've been taught. We should be careful not to be deceived. We should be mindful to remember and follow what we've been taught. And then thirdly, Paul tells the Thessalonians and, and us, we should be watchful. We should be watchful. Paul says that the, the coming of the lawless one, in verses 9 through 12, he says the coming of the lawless one is by the activity or by the working of Satan. Okay? Sometimes, I think, believers today can, can tend to be kind of embarrassed maybe by, by some of the things that the Bible says. That could be a temptation for for us, but the Bible says that there's a real being named Satan. Satan is real, and he's really at work in our world. He's at work in other religions. I think of, I think of the the, the Mormon story of how they got the Book of Mormon when the angel appeared to uh, to Joseph Smith and gave them the the Book of Mormon. Perhaps a being like that did appear to Joseph Smith. Perhaps it was a, a demon, or perhaps it was a deceiver, right? And he really did get the book from him. Satan's at work in our, in our world. He's at work in, 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 in different governments that oppose Christianity. The Bible says that he's even at work in, in physical ways sometimes. Sicknesses and ailments and, and, and weaknesses and things like that. I, I don't say that every time we get sick, that's a demon or that's Satan doing that. But Satan can work that way. We see him working that way in the, in the Bible sometimes, in the, in the New Testament sometimes. The Bible says he works in many different ways. And we don't want to give him too much credit. We don't want to give Satan too much credit. He's not equal to God. He doesn't have the same power as God or, or anything like that. He doesn't have unfettered power, but he is powerful and he is significant. When the man of lawlessness is revealed, Paul says he will have power and he'll be able to do false signs and wonders. These are real works. These are real things I think that, that this person will be able to do. Just like counterfeit money is, is really there, right? There really is something there but it's fake, I think this man in all of this, he'll be able to do real things, real signs, real powers, real, real, real wonders, but they'll be fake. They'll be from the power of Satan, not the power of God. They're meant to deceive those, Paul says, they're meant to deceive those who are perishing. Paul says they're done with wicked deception, or they're done with the deception of, of wickedness in verse 10. Those that are perishing, he goes on to say, those that are perishing are those who refused to love the truth. Right? That's what he says. 
Those that are perishing, those that are being deceived are those who have chosen or refused, I mean, to love the truth and chosen to buy into that deception. He also says that they actually take pleasure in unrighteousness or, or wickedness. These are people that choose to reject God who choose to rebel against him. People who set themselves up as their final authority uh, over their own lives, who, who live as if they're their own gods, right? Just like the man of lawlessness was going to set himself up to be God. And the result here is, is another difficult, difficult saying in this passage. It seems difficult, at least on, on the surface. On the surface, It says in verse 11, Therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but have pleasure in unrighteousness. The result is that God sends them a strong delusion or he sends them a, a work of error is another way of translating that. And, and, and this is not the first time we've heard about something like this in the Bible. Think about King Saul in the Old Testament. Remember the first king of, of Israel and he turned, a, he turned away from the Lord and the Lord sent him a, a spirit. Think about Pharaoh when Moses was leading the people out of, out of Egypt, right? At least one of the reasons, not maybe the only reason, but at least one of the reasons that Pharaoh's heart was hardened is because he rebelled against God and turned away from him and wouldn't do what, what God had told him to do. And so part of what God's judgment on him was is that God hardened his heart. In Romans chapter 11, we read this. It says, what then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. That means they, they rejected the Messiah. They didn't follow the Messiah once Jesus came. He says the elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it's written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. In Romans 1, Paul says, claiming to be wise, people became fools and exchanged the glory of immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, because they did that, therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served their creature rather than their creator who is blessed forever, amen. There's several places in the Bible that tell us that if people reject the Lord, if people rebel against the Lord, if people continue to, uh, to love the, uh, how, how, did it say, how did he say it here? To, to love the things of unrighteousness or wickedness instead of loving the truth, there comes a point where God turns away and hardens people and says, if that's what you want, then that's what you can have, right? One commentator writing on this passage in 2 Thessalonians says this, he said, God does not cause their unbelief, but he does set the stage for them to demonstrate it and thus openly earn their own condemnation. God doesn't cause them to rebel. God doesn't cause them not to believe, but he does set the stage for them to demonstrate it. He turns them over to themselves. He lets them go the way that they want to go and thus openly earn their own condemnation. Perhaps, they're, they're, perhaps we can maybe come up with some reasons why the man of lawlessness is being restrained. For, for one thing, I think maybe because God is giving people a chance to repent and turn to him, right? Another reason, I think, is because 
people are in rebellion of God and God's given them time to demonstrate who they really are. And undoubtedly, there's many other reasons as well. God's, you know, who knows what all is involved in God's plan and what all he's accomplishing through the things that, that he does. But Paul tells the people in, 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 in this church in Thessalonica, the Lord has not come yet, right? Don't be worried. Don't be shaken. Don't be alarmed. The Lord has not come back yet. Don't let people deceive you. Don't let people make you believe things that are not true, right? And you know that he hasn't come back, and here's how you know. Don't be deceived into, into believing what people tell you just because they tell you that. Then he tells them, be mindful. Remember. Remember what you've been taught. Remember what I told you when I was with you. Don't turn away from that and go with what other people are saying. Remember what you've been taught. Remember what God says in his word. And remember how you've been taught in his word. And then he says, but, but be watchful because Satan is real. And Satan is there. And Satan is working. And those that follow him and those that rebel and, and, and against me and rebel with him, there's destruction that's coming. There'll be, there'll be perishing that comes. But those who don't, those who love the truth, those who trust in the Lord, will be saved. Josh Green's going to preach next Sunday on the next section of, of the passage, or of the book. Um, but I want to look at, at just one of the verses today. So let's, let's look at verse 15 in the, in the next section, the end of the next section. Here's what he says. So then in, in 13 and 14, he talks about how, you know, he's just talked about the people that are perishing, that are going uh, to be hardened and, and condemned. And, and so now in 13 and 14, he says, but as for you, and he goes on and tells how the believers are different and what they're going to get. And we'll talk about that next week. But then verse 15, he says, so then brothers, he's talking to the believers, right? The, the church members, so then brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Paul's reason for writing here is not to give the people in this church more information, new information, different information. His purpose in, in, in writing is to remind them of what he's already taught them, to bolster them, to encourage them. He tells them to stand firm, to hold fast to the traditions that they've been taught. And that's my final encouragement for us today as well. Don't let your minds be quickly shaken. Don't be alarmed. Hold fast to the truth. Trust what God has said and what he's promised, even when everything around us seems to be saying something different. Even when it seems like the whole world is rebelling against him. Be careful what you're hearing and reading and thinking, and don't let yourself be deceived. Be mindful. Remember what you've been taught and what God has said in his word, and be careful. Satan is powerful. He's working but know that his end is destruction. All of his works will come to nothing. And God's in control of everything that's happening. Even what Satan's doing, directly and indirectly. Through demons, through people like the man of lawlessness. And all of that will be revealed. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much this morning that you are God and that you are in control of your creation. God, we thank you that you're in control of your church and your people and your kingdom. God, I pray you'd help us to be good subjects of your kingdom, Father. Help us to be good followers of you. Help us to be good, good disciples. God, I pray you would 
help us not to be deceived. Help us to be careful what we hear and listen to and believe, that we wouldn't be deceived into thinking something that's not true. Father, help us to be, uh, to be mindful, to remember the things that we've been taught, to remember the things that, that we've heard preached, Father, to remember what you've said to us in your word. And God, help us to be watchful over ourselves and over each other as we know that Satan is working here in the world among us. God, we pray that you would help us to, to trust you. Even when things around us doesn't look like it, Father, to trust you, that you're God, that you're in control, and what you've said is true. And God, we thank you so much and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.